Well, hello, friends. Greg Kogel here and Stand to Reason. Welcome to the show. And as I promised last show, I'm going to give you some announcements about things coming up. Incidentally, Amy Hall is making a rare appearance in Boca Raton, Florida, as part of the Women in Apologetics Conference. Okay, she's going to be a main stage speaker. It's so many of you love Amy, the work she does behind the mic. Here in uh, in STRS, hashtag STRS, to give the complete name. And uh, she's a magnificent editor, too. We work a lot on the things that I write. She always makes me see, uh, sound better in writing than I am. And uh, a fine presenter, too. She's going to be talking about how to persevere through opposition. Now, that's just one of a number of presentations on June 9th through 11th. That's three days in Boca Raton, Florida. Now, you can attend either live or virtually, okay? Either live or virtually. So if you're in Florida and want to go and see the gals do their thing, including Amy, then you go to womeninapologetics.com and all the details are there for the conference. By the way, not only will Amy Hall be there, but Monique Dusson would be there, Krista Bontrager, uh, Bontrager, pardon me, Krista, uh, Katie Faust, uh, uh, T.C. Cannon. They'll be talking about paganism and cultural apologetics and critical race theory and the resurrection and transhumanism and the case for the Gospels and raising your child with a biblical worldview and how to get started in apologetics, all of that to be covered June 9th through 11th, Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, womeninapologetics.com is the place to go for all the information. And like I said, you can attend live or uh, virtually. All right. Also, let's see what else we got here. Don't want to leave anything out that's important. I'm actually going to be gone uh, the next two weeks, but next week, Jay Warner Wallace is filling in for me for both shows. So that's fun. And uh, he's, <laughs> I love Jim, um, one of my closest friends. He does a fabulous job behind the mic. In fact, it was when I heard him behind the mic filling in for me a number of years ago that I thought, this guy's got to get out of police work and into full-time Christian work. And I had to throw him to the mat and beat him up a little bit to get him to make that decision. But he finally did. And of course, the rest is history with cold case Christianity and God's crime scene and forensic faith and uh, a person of interest, all of that. We'll be talking about that next week and taking your calls on the show. I'm not sure... Who's in the following? Robbie? Oh, Lashua? Is that right? Oh, okay. With uh, interviewing who? Titus. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, Robbie Lashua, our newest uh, guy on board. He was with me last week on the show, and he'll be interviewing Titus Kennedy, who is a who is a archaeologist and just unbelievable amount of knowledge related to archaeology and the latest digs and finds and the Bible, and he'll be the following week. So uh, that's coming up, and then I'll be back for the first week of June. All right, so I'll be out for two weeks. But uh wanted to let you know that a- Amy Hall is also go- going to be doing a live Q&A on Facebook on Wednesday, May 18th. All right, 1 p.m. Pacific time. You go to our Facebook page and uh, submit your question, and Amy will answer. So this is kind of like a Facebook uh, SDR ask with Amy going solo. Okay, which she'll be she'll be doing great. So um, let's see. Uh, speaking of SDR ask, you can tweet your questions to hashtag SDR ask. 
for our shorter podcast. But we also have a newer thing, too, that we just initiated because a lot of folks, you know, uh, can't thread the needle time-wise to get on our show and wait in the queue while uh, while I do my commentary and go through other callers or do an interview in order for your quest- question to be aired. So what Amy and uh, Derek have put together is a special page on our website, okay? So if you go to the uh, live broadcast page, all right, there's a place now this is the live broadcast page. Go to str.org and then click through to the live broadcast page. And there you'll see a heading that says submit a question to the STR weekly podcast. Okay. So you can type in an STRS there if you want to. If you don't have Twitter, don't use that. Uh, hashtag STRS. Or you can actually push the button and record a question for me to respond to on the live show. And then if your question passes muster, it isn't too long, you're clear, etc., understandable, uh, then we'll actually play the question on the air and I'll respond to it. Did I get that right, Amy? Yeah, that's the way it's going to work. So um, you can submit a question to the STR Weekly Podcast, either uh, hashtag STRask or to this live show where we take the live questions, as it were. And uh, all of the information is there on the live broadcast page under the heading, submit a question to the STR weekly podcast. Is that right? Did I get it right? That's right. And Amy's just reminding me, can they hear what you say? No, only I can hear that. Okay. Uh, She just reminded me that if they do it now, I won't personally be responding to it until I'm back in town in two weeks. Okay. So that's how that works. Okay, great. Now, uh, last show, I talk with Megan Allman uh, of uh, Life Training Institute about the kerfuffle about the Supreme Court um, draft by Alito regarding the Dobbs case, which will decide whether or not uh, Roe still continues to be um, uh, in force, okay, as a constitutional decision from the Supreme Court in 1973. Um, But I just want to talk about this a little bit more, not so much the leak and all of that, but about this broader issue, because there's been a lot of things that have come out in the last week. The fear, the anger, the hostility, lots of things, for example, that Tim Barnett is responding to on uh, Red Pen Logic, um, we just covered an issue yesterday. Lots of goofy things that are being said, just goofy. And what is being lost sight of in many of the cases, including one I'll read to you in a moment, is that what we are talking about here, at least arguably, this is our case, that we are talking about a human being who loses his or her, yes, they have a gender, yes, they have a sex, life at the hands of his or her mother and a doctor, because the law law now currently allows that to take place. Now, I have tried to find a way to make the numbers of children aborted be, uh, what's the right word, Uh, to, to to be relevant to people. 
so that you would have a clear understanding of what is going on. And I use a statistic from 20 years ago, characteristically, to indicate how many young, how many children die at the hand of abortionists on a regular basis. On September 11, 2001, 2,977 human beings lost their lives when terrorists attacked the Twin Towers in New York City, the Pentagon, and then that plane that went down in a field in Pennsylvania. 2,977 dead. It's a time that Time Magazine, or an occasion, an event that Time Magazine called the greatest loss of human life in American soil since the Civil War. But they were not right. Because it turns out that that number, 2,977, is roughly the same number of children who lose their lives every single day to abortion on American soil. Now, the number has not always been that. In the past, it's been higher, and right now it's a little bit lower. But keep in mind, the number that, the numbers we have available to us is from the CDC. And for states to report the number of actual abortions is not required. It's not obligatory. It's voluntary. And it turns out that the state of California, which uh, I just happened to... Uh, to get some details on, doesn't even report. I don't know what the biggest state of the union was, or I didn't until I looked up the number of representatives that each individual state has in in the U.S. Congress. And it turns out that California far and away has the most representatives, which is key to population, So California has the most people. And if it has the most people, especially being California, I suspect it has the most abortions. And these abortions are not being reported to the CDC. So there's lots of abortions that go on under the radar. But I I hope it has an emotional impact on you that at least the number of lives lost each day through abortion are the same number of lives that were tragically lost on 9-11-2977. You think of the emotional impact that had on us, all of those lives that were sacrificed as a result of terrorism, and then multiply that times 365 days per year times 48 years in the United States of America. That's just the U.S. numbers. And again, these are conservative because there are a number of states that produce lots of abortions that don't even report the number of abortions. By the way, I did the math. I took 2,977 times 365 times, that would be the number of days in a year, times 48, that's the number of years Roe v. Wade has been in force, the number is 53,243,655. That is a hundred times more 
than the soldiers who lost their lives in the Vietnam War. One hundred Vietnams. In the First World War, all the, the deaths due to the war, 30 million. This is almost double the number of people who lost their lives in the First World War. The Second World War is more like 60 to 80, depending on how you count. It's hard to get an accurate number, but I'm not even talking about those dead through concentration camps and that. Like, I'm just talking about war dead at least 60,000, I'm sorry, 60 million. And so the number of deaths in the last 48 years that were perpetrated through abortion in our country matches almost the lower numbers of the estimates of all those died in both theaters, Pacific and European, in the entire Second World War. Are you beginning to get a sense of the magnitude of the loss of life that has occurred right on our soil, right underneath our eyes. And this is the thing that's at issue now. So when you think of those numbers dead, every other issue raised against changing Roe versus Wade becomes specious by comparison. It's utterly inconsequential. And this just goes to focus on the one issue that is the most important issue in the abortion question, and that is, what is the unborn? What is the unborn? Because if the unborn is not a human being, then no justification for abortion is necessary. Go ahead and have the abortion. You don't have to talk about privacy and choice. You don't have to talk about financial hardship. You don't have to talk about any of those things. You don't need a justification if the unborn is not a human being, just like you don't need a a moral justification for any other kind of operation you have on your body. But if it turns out that the unborn is not part of your body and the unborn is not, and that the unborn is a human being, and the unborn is. This is scientific fact. Then no justification for abortion is adequate, because we don't kill defenseless human beings for the reason that people give for having abortions. And this is why, if you want to simplify the issue, just... Focusing in on the only one question that matters will help you to do that. Now, there are other issues, no question, but none of them eclipse this main issue. What what if we weren't talking about abortion? What if we were talking about human slavery, the kind of slavery that existed before the Civil War? What if we were talking about that? Okay, you know how many slaves Americans enslaved. I'm talking Americans. I'm not talking North American continent. I'm talking Americans. 300,000. 300,000. That's that's terrible. But th- these aren't slaves that were killed, although some were. These are slaves that were put into forced servitude. This is grotesque. But that's how many children are killed in a hundred days in America. If I'm doing my math right, and it's basically round numbers, 
Why would any would anyone countenance such a thing? Would anyone countenance the specious kinds of complaints that are being raised against the potential loss of Roe v. Wade compared to human slavery? No, they they it wouldn't even. They, no one would think twice about it. And talk about a single issue. Slavery would be that for for everybody. But killing the children at a magnitude of thousands and thousands beyond the number of slaves that we had in this country, that doesn't seem to phase massive numbers of people. Okay, now with that in mind, I just want to read this piece. And uh, I was reading it to Amy, and I just I, every sentence bugged me. I'll just read it and respond. This is from Alex Berenson. Now, this is a person I do not know of personally, but apparently he's uh, someone who is moderate or maybe left of center, but he has really pushed back against a number of things going on in our culture that uh, or characteristic of the left, and, and a lot had to do with the COVID stuff. So, okay, good. Good for him. I want you to listen to what he says, all right? And here's, uh, it, this is May 3rd, so this is just a week ago or so. Becoming a parent makes you understand viscerally what everyone knows intellectually, that abortion is the murder of a human being. That's his first sentence. You understand viscerally what everyone knows. Even Naomi Wolf said, let's face it, abortion is murder. She's pro-abort, by the way. I have seen firsthand the awful way abortion advocates dismiss that fact. Seen an abortionist slide her palms together to dismiss the possibility of a troublesome pregnancy. Swipe, swipe, swipe. It's gone. Roe versus Wade is a terrible decision. Invented law that has barely a flicker of constitutional support. Okay, all fine and good. This is a very frank admission. Okay, and keep in mind when he says abortion is murder, we're talking about almost twice as many people in this country in 50 years that died in the First World War. A hundred times the number of soldiers killed in Vietnam. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Then he says, and yet... Making abortion illegal in some states will not stop abortion. Well, let me pause there. Um, no, it won't stop all abortions, but it'll stop a lot of them. It'll save a lot of lives. Okay, so what's the point? Since it doesn't stop every abortion, doesn't mean that means that we shouldn't try to stop any. This makes no sense to me. Laws against murder don't stop murder. Not all murders, but they sure stop a lot of murders. No, duh. He continues, if a woman wants to end the life of a fetus, she will find a way to do so. If she can't in her own state, she will travel to a state where abortion is legal. If she can't travel, she will find an illegal provider close by. If she can't do that, she will get a prescription uh, for, for medicine. I can't pronounce these names, but uh, to have that happen. If she can't do that, she will drink uh, penroyal, pennyroyal tea, or she can't do that. Maybe she'll try a wire hanger. Okay, stop. Every woman who wants an abortion 
who is not allowed to have a legal one, is not going to do this. Can, will, some women take these steps? Well, certainly the earlier ones, many will, but many will choose not to go through the trouble of going to another state and instead will carry to term, and therefore the child's life will be spared. The life that Alex Berenson says is a human life, and it's taking his murder. So why don't we want to have fewer murders? I, I, I Really, this guy's a smart guy, but this stuff so far, pretty bad, but it gets worse. Because then he says, if, if after the wire hanger remark, and incidentally, really? Do you think that women are going, characteristically, if they can't get a legal abortion, they are going to take a risk and harm themselves? Oh, well, some will. But this whole wire hanger thing, even before Roe versus Wade, was largely a fiction. The numbers that were offered were completely fictitious, made up for rhetorical purposes. But doesn't this treat women as children? Oh, those poor women, they're so dumb. They'll stick a wire hanger into their uterus to get rid of that child if you don't let them abort it safely. So we are paternalistically going to do everything we can to keep a grown woman from doing something really stupid. Is that your view of females? That, to me, is patronizing regarding females. And by the way, even if she were to do something that would risk harming herself in order to kill her child, why would we want to make it easier for her, her to kill her child? I, I, do you, that's what's at issue here. Oh, we can't make bank robbing illegal. Why not? Well, some people might get shot by, when they're robbing a bank. This, this is silly, specious reasoning. Now, I'm, I'm trying to focus in on the facts of the matter here. And I am, I'm not suggesting we should be insensitive to women who are, find themselves with an unwanted pregnancy. I've known lots of them. Indeed, I married one. Okay? Now, as it turns out, um, if people are going to call me insensitive for these remarks, I regularly, routinely, let me put it that way, speak at CPC's Crisis Pregnancy Centers, raising money for them so that they can give free service to the women who are caught in a circumstance like this and decide to carry the term. And indeed, there are more CPCs in the country than there are abortion clinics. We're there trying to help out because we care about these women. All right. Well, I continue after the wire hanger condescension towards women comment. Meanwhile, rich and even middle class women will stop at step one. That means they'll go to another state because they can travel to a state and continue reading where abortion is legal. Rich and middle class liberals are great at making the poor pay the price for their beliefs. But this is a case where rich and middle class conservatives are doing the same. Okay, this is more nonsense. It's more nonsense. 
just because rich people can kill their babies doesn't mean we should make it easy for poor people to kill their babies. This argument goes upside down. It's rich babies that are discriminated against, (laughs) not the poor babies. Poor babies' lives are saved because of the circumstances of poor people. This 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 whole point here is topsy turvy. Okay, then he continues. Yes, abortion is murder. It is. If you really believe that, then why did you come up with this nonsense that you just said or wrote? He continues. But if abortion is truly murder, okay, here's now another canard. We should not just stop at banning abortions. We should prosecute both the women who have the abortions and the physicians who aid them for murder. Okay. He's just admitted that abortion is murder. So if what this requires for us to be consistent is to prosecute more people who are involved in the abortion, then maybe that's the right thing to do. Just like if you drive a getaway car from a burglary that goes south and someone gets killed, you're also charged with murder. Now, I don't think that's the right answer, but what I'm saying is he's making this sound like what a preposterous thing to think of. It's not preposterous at all. The law already does that. But the law also makes provision for people who are involved in homicide and do it in a confused state, under duress, um, in a psychologically weakened state. All of these things are taken into consideration. And so I don't know why, as a policy issue, that can be resolved, can't be resolved in the lawmaking. The fact is, though, even if that's a difficult process to figure out how to prosecute those who are involved in the murder of their own children, it doesn't change the fact that their children are being murdered. And we should do everything we can, even if we're not completely consistent in the execution of punishment, to save those children. That is common sense. What I read here are all these kinds of goofy canards that really bear, that do not bear clearly in mind what is at issue. 53,243,655 human lives in the last 48 years. A conservative number, by the way. As close to the truth as I can get, abortion is a very private murder. He closes now. A murder for which the state has no responsibility and cannot interfere. Huh? A murder for which the state has no responsibility? Well, the state isn't... Well, wait a minute. If the state says it's okay, then the state bears responsibility. If the state outlaws it, then it is something they can do something about that will save lives, not everyone, but multitudes. That's the way, (laughs) that's what government is supposed to do. Then he says, "It, it is a decision that is the decision to do the private murder that is even more personal than being vaccinated. What? Well, I guess if you get a shot in your arm, that's not personal. But if you molest your child, that's more personal. You could put it that way. But I don't know how that somehow makes molesting a child, or in this case, 
the private murder of abortion less egregious. I, I, I don't get the thinking here. It is the ultimate betrayal of a child by the woman who carries him. Maybe that's what he means by personal. And perhaps by the man who impregnated her, too. It is a tragedy. Agreed. Is it a sin? Only God can judge sin. No. Only God can define sin. It is God's purpose that government judge certain sins that have a direct bearing on human flourishing. That's why God defines murder as a sin and then empowers governments to punish murder. The very thing that you claim, Mr. Berenson, that abortion actually is. So this line, is it a sin only God can judge sin? Will he? Does he? Your guess is good as mine. Really? It's just a guess as to whether God will judge the sin of murder? Well, he's presuming God exists. And if God exists, he's the judge. And he won't judge that? He closes, last line, This I know, banning or criminalizing it will only add to the sum of human misery. Really? I'll tell you whose misery will be increased. Those who want to benefit from the abortion. The massive misery that will be decreased is the misery of the brutal execution in the womb of millions and millions of innocent babies. I guess if you're only counting the humans who are inconvenienced by the ban, well, then banning and criminalizing abortion will only add to the sum of human misery. But if you count all of the human beings that are involved, including the victims, at roughly 2,799 per day, banning abortion will massively decrease human misery. Again, Alex Berenson, who's a smart guy, good guy, but this is nonsense. Pardon me. It's just nonsense. All right, let's take a break and to your calls when we come back at Stand to Reason. Do you want to become a more knowledgeable Christian ambassador without sitting through a formal course on apologetics? Well, we've made that possible for you through our STR Quick Reference app. Available for free on iTunes and Google Play, the STR Quick Reference app holds a wealth of information summarizing what you need to know on a range of topics. Learn how to defend the faith, see how other worldviews compare to Christianity, and master the biblical view of morality all through short, engaging videos. Before you know it, you'll be well-versed on a number of important apologetics topics. In addition, the Quick Reference app also includes a Bible with text and audio, as well as some featured STR resources, all to enhance your learning experience. The STR Quick Reference app will equip you to engage in thoughtful conversation about the key issues of life from a classical Christian perspective. Visit iTunes or the Google Play Store today and download the STR Quick Reference app. And if you enjoy the app, make sure you give it a five-star review. Have you seen our brand new website? Stop by str.org and enjoy a fresh, clean layout with all the same great content. The new Stand to Reason website was designed with you in mind. 
It has an easier than ever navigation and a crisp, simple layout so you can find all the sound analysis and careful commentary that you've come to expect from us. Browse new features that make finding your favorite resources easier than ever. As always, it's our goal to equip you, our fellow Christians, with a confidence, clear thinking, and courage you need for every encounter you have as a Christian ambassador. Our new website is just one way we're fulfilling that goal, allowing you to access the resources you need in a new and improved way. So visit str.org and keep coming back to discover new podcasts, articles, and videos each and every day. You know, it just uh, occurred to me, I was talking with Amy during the break, that... um, what if we took this whole piece and adjusted the subject um, from abortion to slavery, all right? Um, making slavery illegal in some states will not stop slavery, for, for an example from the piece here. Or is slavery a sin? Only God can judge. Will he? Does he? Well, your guess is as good as mine. Banning or criminalizing slavery will only add to the sum of human misery. All right? You just go through the whole thing. It will become patently obvious how foolish this piece is, how silly it is. You, you You wouldn't be able to continue reading it because if somebody wrote that kind of thing, or racism, just racism. Abortion is worse than racism. Abortion is worse than slavery. In slavery, somebody is enslaved. In abortion, someone is murdered. Agreed that many slaves were murdered, but not as many as are murdered in abortion. We're shaking our heads. We don't get it. All right, let's go back to the phones. And incidentally, we do have room on the lines. And if you're listening online, you can dial this number to get in the queue, 855 Two four three nine nine seven five. That's eight five five two four three nine nine seven five. We've got uh, about a half hour to go in the show, and uh, only one caller on board, so there's probably room for you. Let's go to Ren. No location, anonymous. Okay, great. Ren, welcome to the show. Yes, um, actually, my name's Lynn. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, if you're going to be anonymous, how can you be Lynn? Yeah. I could be Ren or Lynn. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just let's just well whatever you want. Okay. Names are okay. names are conventional. So if you want to be Lynn, you can be Lynn. Okay. Yeah. That would be I, your pseudonym, right? Yes. Okay, Lynn. Um, Glad you called. My question is um, pastoral in a sense that I'm wondering if I'm doing the right thing and. Um, even though our church is deeply committed to this uh, idea, um, I'm wondering if I have grounds to leave the church or keep asking my questions. So that's um, kind of why I'm calling, but a little more information. I attended a one-hour introduction Mm -hmm. to a spiritual authority cohort through our church. Wait, 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 before you, I'm just, uh, I just need clarification. You said a spiritual authority cohort. Yes. Is is that right? Can you explain to me what that is? Um, 
Well, yes, I would like to call it an outpost of sorts in the same sense that um, if you were interested, you could take a series of classes offered at the church and be a part of the cohort. Oh, okay. So the cohort is a group. It's a, it's an, actually an ancient military term, like a Roman legion oh. is a co they have cohorts. But, um, yeah. but when you said spiritual authority, it's not, uh, I was confused. I want to, it's not yeah. authority over Christians, but Christians taking authority over uh, yes. other the, the spiritual authority. powers or something like that. Yeah. Okay. The, got it. Uh, Okay. Got it. Thank you for that um, clarification. So the introduction and the materials of the class reminded me of your how to keep from becoming spiritually weird oh, yeah. and never read a Bible verse, ABC, um, right. ambassador-based curriculum. Right. So I, tend to, I decided not to uh, be a part of the cohort. Okay. Um, after that, I was a part of a retreat where we were engaged in an exercise that felt new age to me. Okay. Um, we were asked to um, close our eyes um, as a way of hearing from God. Um, wipe your mind clean and envision such and such. So it felt new age to me. I expressed my concern to the leadership, and I was told that this was part of what people were learning in their prayer classes. So probably what people are learning in their spiritual authority. Cohort. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, coincidentally, about two or three weeks later, my pastor gave a sermon on new age spirituality. Um and versus Christianity, which gave me another opportunity to express my concern. So after a sermon, I said, uh, what if I see this stuff going on in our church? <laughs> and um, everything was a blur after that. I'm not sure what he said, but I think I just felt a lot of pushback. Mm -hmm. And I think I've heard you say that when pastors make their decisions on these things they're they're gonna do it anyway um generally so, yeah frequently that's the case once they go public with it it's very hard yeah. to get them to change their minds i need a cl yes. another clarification though uh lynn yes. and that is when uh when he gave your pastor gave the sermon of new age spirituality versus christianity i guess the way it was put that way it seemed to me he is critiquing new age spirituality as being non-christian is that correct? right okay yes. It was from Colossians um, chapters two and three, uh -huh. and I I was dumbfounded. I felt like he's reading my mind. Perhaps, uh, you know, my friend thought that perhaps I he was speaking this sermon as a result of me bringing up questions to the of leadership. Of the concern that you raised. Okay, so so yeah. his, his sermon seemed to contradict what apparently was going on in this retreat that you went to. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, that's a good on. sign. Yeah, but I was so confused because when I approached him and I said, I see this stuff going around 
in my uh, travels in this church, I think he got really defensive. Huh. Um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he was saying that it's non-biblical. You can't judge people based on this um, prayer exercises that they do, how they express themselves. Okay. But I was wondering, why are they having classes on how to pray? No, I, I think, okay, from what you've said so far, this is, this concerns me a lot, especially his response. If what yeah. you're saying is, I was in prayer with somebody, and the guy kept saying just this and just that and just Lord, and we just this and that and the other thing, well, that's kind of annoying, but okay, you just let people pray the way they want. If they, yeah. if you're in a prayer group, though, and you are being instructed by leadership of the church in an exercise yeah. that turns out not to have any biblical support for it, and what you described to me, close your eyes, wipe your mind clear or clean, mm-hmm. there is no mm-hmm. place in the Scripture where anything mm-hmm. like that related to prayer is even remotely hinted at. Okay, Mm -hmm. but it does sound a little new agey even to me. I mean, the Mm -hmm. whole idea of wiping your mind clean is what asanas uh, are meant to accomplish in Eastern religion. So you practice a a spiritual exercise called an asana, A-S-A-N-A, and it might be reciting a a, a mantra, om, 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 over and over, to clear your mind, okay, and make your mind go blank. Well, that's... East, that's Eastern religion. That's part of New Age. And so you are justifiably concerned mm-hmm. there. Okay. Um, that isn't just a criticism of somebody's prayers. That is a concern about some particular methodology that is being taught in the church. So when yeah. your pastor, and again, there may be a number of different things going on, I'm just taking yeah. your characterization at face value. All right. When your pastor then gets defensive and pushes back on that thing, this Mm -hmm. is not a good sign. What your pastor Mm -hmm. should have done, it seems to me, given that he's teaching against New Age spirituality that sometimes is a counterfeit for Christianity, then when you Mm -hmm. say, you know, pastor, I listened closely to your your sermon and I was really glad to hear it, but that seems to fly in the face of some things that were happening by your church leadership at this retreat I went to. What say Mm -hmm. you? And then he pushes back. That's Mm -hmm. not a good sign. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, it may turn out, your broader question is, do I stay at my church or leave my church? Right, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and but I'm, do I keep asking my questions? Um, it I kind of feel a little bit lonely and like I'm criticizing everything now. At, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I, um, yes, I do know what you mean. And by the way, there have been a number of people associated with Stand to Reason who, when they mm-hmm. learn more things and get more precise about doctrine, theology, and clear thinking, find themselves yeah. in the same circumstance, because oftentimes there is the, the teaching in local churches is not, is not sound in some ways. It's not clear. It's not precise. Or it falls into error 
in in ways like you've just described. Now, Mm -hmm. just because there is this teaching going on in the retreat and the pastor pushed back doesn't nullify, in my mind, everything else that might be good at the church. And this is where you have to make a decision. You have to look at the full range of things that seem to be going on. Every Mm -hmm. pastor has blind spots. And and, and every Christian does. I have blind spots. Uh, There are Mm -hmm. things that I teach that aren't true. I just don't know what they are. Now, how can (laughs) I know I'm teaching things that aren't true? Because I'm probably not the only one on earth that gets everything right. All right. So uh, I have been wrong in the past, and my family will be quick to affirm that. So uh, my daughters especially. So um, we can't demand perfection from anybody. Francis right. Schaeffer said that utopian ideals always turn out to be cruel in the end because they can never be fulfilled. However, sometimes when we see patterns in churches of unhealthy behavior and unsound teaching relative to Scripture, that's when we start asking maybe the question of whether you should stay or not. And maybe that, that isn't the best place to be. So I'm not disqualifying your church for you based just mm-hmm. on what you said, because mm-hmm. this may be an outlier. How even the pastor's response, not good, but it may be an outlier. Um, however, when you look at a lot of things that are going on and a lot of things being taught and the emphases that you see there, if you're troubled by more and more things, well, then maybe it's better for you to find a different local spiritual home for yourself. Yeah. I just didn't know if what I'm doing is a noble enterprise, put the, you know, well, raising questions. What you told me so far, I would say is a noble enterprise. The the Bereans Mm -hmm. were the more noble ones because they examined everything that Paul was saying to see if it were true. This is what you're Mm -hmm. doing. It is a noble enterprise. It can be pursued in an ignoble way, and this is why we have to be careful. Uh, But but, uh, I don't sense that that's your project at all. Um, So uh, my my word to you, and I have to take another caller in just a second, but my word to you is that that I think you're on to something that is a concern, whether it's thoroughgoing enough, or the pattern is deep enough in the church that you'll want to leave, that's another issue. But there should be nothing wrong with you asking questions of the leadership about these things so that they can verify or justify or give a rationale that is biblical Mm -hmm. and legitimate for why they are doing what they're doing. And if they don't listen to you or or they put you off Mm -hmm. instead of trying to give you an answer or— if the answer that they give you is not sound, well, you don't have to mm-hmm. make a big fuss about it and get in a big fight with them, but this might be time to um, exit stage left, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. That's up okay. to you. All righty. All right. Lynn, the anonymous one. <laughs> All right. It's nice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's nice chatting with you. Uh, let's talk with Darren in Newberry Park. And Darren, you're just right down the road from me. Yeah, hi, Greg. How are you? I'm doing okay, sir. Well, just uh, first off, wanted to thank you for, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, listening to you for a long time, all the way back to, uh, oh, was was a Harbor Fellowship down there? I forget the name of it, Huntington Beach. But, oh, uh, huh. 
I forget the name of that church, but I know you had a number of conferences there. That, oh uh, yeah, well we've yeah we've been around twenty nine years now, so lots of things in our past. But I'm glad well, you called sure, today, Darren. How sure can I help you here? Well, we just have a, I have a question about um, sort of the intersection of politics and I guess for the way to say it, the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, spent years, you know, growing up really kind of the fundamentalism, and then over time became. Uh, convinced the reform the reform tradition mm-hmm. was sort of the right take for us on Christianity, mm-hmm. and ended up at a very small church where um, Keller Tim Keller has a lot of influence on, uh-huh. on oh. the leadership, and who I wasn't that familiar with, honestly, even though we're reformed, and mm-hmm. uh, it just seems there's a lot of reluctance on that side to uh, address political. I mean, the big issues too. I don't mean. Uh, like obviously, you know, the elf in the room today is abortion. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm just, I'm just wondering your take on sure, that. Sure, yeah, and let me jump in because uh, just shortness of time here. Uh, yep. I actually have some uh, material that Tim Keller put out recently that I'm going to respond to probably in a couple of weeks because oh, I am terrific. concerned about the way that he has tried to navigate this question. All right. Interesting. Also the solid ground that we published in January, an article that I wrote is titled um, something about politics and Christianity. Uh, what is it? Christian virtue. I, I just, Amy's going to tell me now. Okay, it's titled Getting Political Question Mark Vice or Christian Virtue. Oh, I guess the question marks at the end. But in any event, it it deals with pardon me, with this entire question. Okay. Here's what's ironic in your circumstance. You go to a reformed church, but it was the Dutch reformed crowd that was deeply and profoundly political trying to build whole political systems off based on their reform theology. Mm, uh, yeah. So, so they, I mean, th- th- there didn't seem in their mind to be any um, limitation or any inappropriate connection between living out your Christian life and the gospel and seeing that the convictions that you had were reflected in a social structure that promoted human flourishing. Okay, so and I think that there is a role for that. But here's the difficulty, and it's a point I made in the piece. The difficulty is that everything's political now. Everything is political. Mm -hmm. So what about abortion? Abortion's a political issue since Roe v. Wade. Okay, it's been really politicized over the last, you know, forty-eight years, and just recently, of course. But the but the but the issue there is. The loss of a human life. Now, let's right. just transfer, or I shouldn't say the loss, it's the taking of a human life in abortion. Yes. So let's just switch our thinking and talk about, let's say, mid-30s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany, okay? Yep. Um, he was concerned about all kinds of things that went on there that were not right, even to the point of participating in an assassination plot of Adolf Hitler for which he was executed. Okay, so um, would it be wrong for, let's just say the plot aside, the assassination element, for a Christian in Nazi Germany to campaign against the actions that were unjust by by the Third Reich? I mean, why would anybody balk at that? Well, if that was okay, why would anybody balk at Christians campaigning for justice, 
Keep in mind that the Old Testament prophets constantly were talking about justice. Yeah. So campaigning for justice on a host of different issues. Now, is that going to cause division between Christians who think differently? Probably. And this is what Keller recently in his tweet is concerned about. Why are we dividing on this? And so to him, Christians dividing is the big sin. But a question that Amy asked earlier today when we were discussing this is, how would he feel about racism? Should racism be addressed from the pulpit if it is, in fact, a problem? Martin Luther King in the 60s was a Baptist minister. And in the late 50s and the early 60s, it was the foundation of his worldview that dictated his political activism against prejudice and uh, segregation. And uh, those were the specific ways, I should say segregation, was the specific legal way that racism and prejudice were expressed in the culture. Racism and prejudice were sins. So a Baptist minister can address the sins, but he went further than that. He addressed the consequence of the sin in action, and that was segregation. Was he wrong right. for doing that? Of course not. No, of course and, not. And and honestly, and and the pretext that they use for it, Greg, is, well, we're, we're just all about the gospel, and I'm certainly all about the gospel, but it seems to me if, if you're gospel-informed that especially the big issues like this are— are paramount too. Okay, let me ask you a question. Uh, and this, I this is uh, John John Noyes. Even today, is in Missouri filming the STRU on justice, and and I went over all the material. Okay, um, Jesus gave two great commandments: love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Is that incumbent upon t- Christians? Of course, of course. Is it gospel? Well, the gospel is what Jesus did, what God did well, to yeah. save to save sinners. Okay, right? just to save sinners. Is this what we do to save sinners? Those two great commandments. Well, we're obviously going to do any kind of uh, of uh, imperatives that the, we're going to try to do. That okay, but my question, right? You're overcomplicating this a little bit. I agree with you. Is it gospel? Uh, I would say it's part and parcel of of it's the part you live out. Okay. Is it gospel? Gospel is about forgiveness and salvation. Is loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself, gospel about salvation? I would say say yes, it's part and parcel of it. Okay, then I'm going to disagree. That's not gospel. It's law. It is law we're obliged to obey. Wait, let me just finish. Uh, It's law. It's a command. It's a command. It, 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 What we are saved from by the gospel is our inability to keep those legal demands. But Jesus said all of the law is summed up in these two great commandments. So even by Jesus' acknowledgement, it's law. Now, I know what you're saying, and I agree with the sentiment. It's sanctification. It's part of the process of being a Christian, but it isn't gospel. So if one church says we're all about the gospel, well, then you have nothing to say about loving God and loving your neighbor, because Jesus identified that as law. It sums up the law. Okay. Right. Well, that's not right. Of course, we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor. Ah, ergo, then gospel is not the only thing the church is supposed to be concerned with. So if we're to love our neighbor, does our concern about abortion, is that an expression of loving our neighbor 
for example, the unborn neighbor whose life has lost through abortion? I think so. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yes, of course. course. Uh, doing a, a crisis pregnancy center to help the mothers who choose to carry to term. Is that loving our neighbor? Yes, of yeah. course. I, I think I think the way I thought about it was, you know, you're you're to establish righteousness, you know, in your life, you're on earth to the best of your, of your ability. Yes, of course, and also to to support and campaign for those things that promote human flourishing, which is what God's original plan from the garden has been, is to promote human flourishing, and uh, and we have an obligation to do that. Now, does that mean that our actions to promote human flourishing might might creep into what now is called political? Of course it does, because everything is political. And that's the point that I make in the Solid Ground that came out in January. It's on our website, str.org. I recommend you take a look at it, because there I spell things out more thoroughly than I've been able to do in the, what, the last seven minutes or so. But I have no compunctions about any pastor getting so-called political in the pulpit. I think in some ways this is an obligation, and it does not compromise their commitment to the gospel, because we also have a commitment to loving God and loving our neighbor, and that's from Jesus. All right. Hey, thanks for the call, Darren. Newberry Park. Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven, friends. Bye-bye now.